I think as parents, we're sold this well-intentioned but not true scenario that we have to do so much. And what I have learned is that when we step back, we let our kids take a little bit of the lead. They're biologically designed to self-educate. They're going to grow in those situations. Even if you can't measure it, they are growing. And you can have this really full and vibrant today, even with little kids, that leads to a prepared tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast, where we're, we're here to help you thrive on your homeschooling journey. Let me take just a minute to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And if this podcast has been encouraging to you, please leave us a review. It really helps us. I also want to remind you that we are on YouTube now, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm so excited to have my dear friend Jenny Yurich on the podcast today. She is the founder of A Thousand Hours Outside, a worldwide movement that helps us bridge the gap between virtual life and real life and helps our children reclaim their childhood. Jenny and her children, Josh, reside in Southeast Michigan, where they homeschool their five children. This episode with Jenny is life-changing. Society used to be constructed in a way that naturally preserved childhood. That is no more. Jenny and I will discuss how to move from exhaustion and depression in your parenting to true happiness with your kids just by taking them outside and letting them play. She's the author of the new book, Until the Streetlights Come On. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this episode. When my family started our homeschooling journey, there were so many decisions to make. But one of our best decisions was choosing to use BJU Press Homeschool. I've never seen my kids so excited to get textbooks before. I'm amazed by how interesting and interactive the lessons are. My kids actually look forward to them. We use the online video lessons for all our courses, but I know some families choose to teach from the textbooks. What I love is that I can trust BJU Press to uphold our values. The Bible and biblical principles are woven throughout each subject. I'll admit, I was a bit nervous when I started homeschooling, but I've found a wonderful online community of other BJU Press homeschool families and consultants. The Homeschool Hub also makes my job easier. I can set up our schedules and rearrange them with just a few clicks. On the dashboard, I can see each of my kids' progress, and the assignments page shows me quickly what's ready for me to check or grade. I'm glad my son's biology assignments are automatically graded. BJU Press Homeschool has given us the tools and confidence to homeschool our children. For more information, do what I did and visit the BJU Press Homeschool website or talk with your local HomeWorks consultant. Hey, Jenny. Well, it is so great to have you back for the podcast. You know, you were my first podcast guest. What an honor. What an honor. It's so cool. Oh, what an honor for me. And you were unrelenting and talking to me over the years about podcasting. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you did it. It's been so cool, hasn't it? Oh, it has I been. I mean, you have, to you have spoken to so many people, so many phenomenal episodes. I'm always seeing the little video clips come through. It's really been a powerful thing. So I'm, I'm proud of you. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all you've done. Hey, I, I hear you've got a new book coming out. I've got a copy for those of you watching it on YouTube. And the name of it is Until the Streetlights Come On. And we're going to talk about the title in a minute. But I got to show you this before we go any further. For those of you who are listening, I'm going to describe this to you. The inside of the book is the inside cover and back cover is worth the price of admission. In a um, horizontal way, they have a, probably a thousand ideas sent in from her readers and followers about things you can do outside. I have been making a list all afternoon of things we're going to do with our grandkids just based on that. This this book is so multi-layered and multifaceted. I can't wait for you to all go out and buy a copy. It will change your life. Zan, thank you. That was such a fun part. And people sent in from all over the world their favorite things. And then I had to go through and make sure there weren't any duplicates and they were supposed to be a certain length. And I had completely forgotten about it. It was one of the very first things that I did. And when we finally got the copies of the book in the mail, I my mouth dropped. I'd forgotten, and it was so cool to see. It's so cool. I have never. I yeah. worked for a publisher in Nashville for five years, and I never saw anything like that. So Ooh. you know, so I just thought, oh, way to go, Jenny. That was cool, and that was a lot of trouble. I I know that I had to have taken hours and hours and hours to do. But so. it was fun. It was it fun. Is worth it. I'm telling you, I've been reading through that just like I've been reading through the book. It just caught my imagination. So mm-hmm. way to I'm go, so Jenny. Well, oh. listen, I am I want to read you one excerpt from your book. So those of y'all outside who out, you know, who aren't watching just listening, just know that this is Jenny with a southern accent. <laughs> so. I love it. So so we'll see how that works. Jenny read a segment from my book when she when when I was doing her podcast and it sounded so um cool because she's got Aww. this like midwestern outdoorsy voice and so now she's going to have to listen to her book with a southern accent. <laughs> That's a good trade. So there you go. Okay. I just want to tell you that I love your books and I know you love, I know everybody loves you because you just speak your heart and it reads like everybody else's heart. And you say the things and articulate the things that some people won't say. So here, let me put on my glasses. I want to, I just want to read this, a couple of opening quotes to set the stage um, for our, our time together tonight. You were talking about with your first son was your oldest a son, that you you just felt like you needed to give him back. You needed to return him, not because of him. You said it had nothing to do with his worthiness, but solely pointed to my own flaws and shortcomings. And then I love this. I love this next paragraph, Jenny, because it describes all of us. Parenthood digs down deep to the bottom of the basket, roots around and firmly grabs hold of all your failures that you'd conveniently tucked away, then yanks them out and puts him on full display. Ta-da! But after slopping through three years of parenthood, I happened upon a secret, an answer, hope. Throughout the persistent and often rapid changes in child development, this secret miraculously continues to work more than a decade after our family started using it. It's a simple answer, though not necessarily an easy one. There is a difference. 
And this will take, this answer covers many of the modern parenting problems we face from exhaustion to anxiety, to depression, to relentless pressure, to overwhelm, to fear, to screen uses, to the deep desire we have to connect with our families. Oh my word. Okay. So now we have to talk. Tell us, tell us about your life as a mother and then how you stumbled onto a thousand hours outside that can really give us all hope. Oh, Zanny, you know, I think that some, not all, but some young women really look forward to being a mom. And I did. I certainly did. I loved kids. I loved kids from the time I was young, loved babies. And I was really excited to be a mom. And then when it finally got here, I really struggled. And I was so bummed about that because I had been so looking forward to it. And it just was so much harder than I ever could have imagined. And, you know, I talk about reaching down deep. I think so much of us spend our lives, our early lives, focusing on what we excel at. We go for college degrees or we enter career fields or we get side jobs and we focus on the things that we're going to get accolades for and pats on the back. And then all of a sudden, someone hands you a baby. It's your baby. And you slide into, at least I did, this 24-7 cycle of failure. The baby is crying. The baby is not happy. You can't figure it out. You've lost your rhythm. You've lost your way. And it was a jolt because I'm wanting to cherish these years, but here I am. I wouldn't even want to go to bed at night because I wouldn't want to get up in the morning because I would know that I'd be up through the night and the morning's going to come and it's going to be the same as yesterday. And these kids are going to be crying and I don't know what to do with them. The days are long. They're so long. Three little ones. We did. We had three under three, but I'd say even from the very beginning, from the very first one, from Jackson, our sweet oldest, who's now 15, I was lost. And there's a lot of hours to fill when you have a life that was filled maybe with work or things that you were accomplishing. And then all of a sudden you have this baby. And so I struggled in those early years with going to different programs and like hating it basically, because it's so much work. I mean, if you try and get one baby out the door, let alone three babies out the door and everyone's in a diaper and they were all nursing and they're all, you know, pooping their diapers and they all pooped up the back of their thing and they need a full outfit change and they're all crying and they're hungry and you try and take them to the thing. What thing is it? Mommy and me soccer, this music program, the library. And it's, it's just, like a gymnastics workout, trying to get everybody buckled in and everything's heavy and no and one really wants to go. In a snowsuit that adds sure, a whole sure. level of, Yeah, you know. it's just so much. And, and I think it's like this Herculean effort that you're putting out there and you do all of it and you get back home and it's only 11 in the morning. What, what am I going to do here? I mean, I still have a full eight hours ahead of me till my husband comes home, you know. So it's just these early years. And I think I was distraught partially because of the situation, but partially because there was this angst that knowing that this is going to fly by, right? Everyone tells you that this is going to be quick. It's going to be over before you know it. You can't really grasp that, but you know that it's no, you true. Can't. That's right. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. But you know it's true because there's not one person who's ever said anything different. And you know it's true and, and you want to enjoy it. And I just could not find my way. And my life changed in one day, Zan. One day, it was in September 2011. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in Farmington, Michigan at this park called Heritage Park. And we went to this grassy field with a friend who also had three, four and under, you know, real little ones. And we planned a four-hour day outside based off of Charlotte Mason. And I thought it was going to be the world's most awful day. I was planning on it. I was planning on this not working because kids tend to not hold their attention for that long. You try. You try so hard. I think everything that we're sold is sold based off of you're going to get a little break. Buy this toy, buy this workbook, watch this television show. You're going to get a little bit of a break. You're you're needing one so badly. And I thought, oh, there's no way. What are these kids going to do for four hours? And they just played. They played in nature. They played in God's creation. And for the very first time as a mom, I got to catch my breath. I got to exhale. I got to have a conversation with a friend that wasn't interrupted. And I changed the way that we were doing childhood based off of that one day, nine in the morning to one in the afternoon, kids coming back and forth to grab snacks and picnic lunch. And I changed it for my own mental health. And you got to talk to your friend. Yes, because here I had a good day and I'd not had a good day yet. I had been a mother for three years and I had not had a good day yet. And then I had one. And I thought, well, if this can help me be more present and focused and more in love with mothering, that's a good thing. But what I've learned over the past decade plus is that this time outside, the hope that you mentioned in reading that passage is that we can take our kids into God's creation. We can take our kids outdoors and breathe in life and also we're all going to develop. Our kids are going to develop in their cognition. Their brains are going to work faster and they're going to develop in their physical abilities. And they're going to develop with their social skills because they're learning to negotiate and compromise and come up with something out of nothing. And it's going to help everyone emotionally. And if you're interested, and I know I'm sure not everybody listening to your podcast believes the Bible, but for those that do, God has given us his creation as a mirror image of so many spiritual laws and spiritual principles. And so this is an avenue for us to teach our kids those things too in simple ways. The morning glory that only blooms in the morning. And you can say in the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation and all of these different things. And so I think as parents, we're sold this well-intentioned but not true scenario that we have to do so much. And what I have learned is that when we step back, we let our kids take a little bit of the lead. They're biologically designed to self-educate. They're going to grow in those situations. Even if you can't measure it, they are growing. And you can have this really full and vibrant today even with little kids, that leads to a prepared tomorrow. And, you know, 
I remember this. This really caught my attention. You said after you had that first day in the park, I mean, that that you were really skeptical of it. And, and, and then after it in the book, you talk about how that one day was life-changing and gave you hope. Usually when we're in a funk and things need to change, it takes, you know, a year or months or years. And you said, I think this holds out so much hope for parents. You said it changed your life in four hours and basically you never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Change is hard. But this change was not very hard. It was yes. just a shift. And it's a shift that at that point was mainly for my own mental health, mainly for my own experience as a mom. But so quickly, oh, our kids were thriving, Zan. They're so much happier and ruddier and eating better and sleeping better. We haven't gone to the doctor since, since 2011. No doctor. That and we have five amazing. kids. So the changes happened very rapidly. And what I have found now is that it still works. And I think that's a message of hope, too, because so many pieces of parenting are dependent on that age and stage of your child. You like you nail it, right? You finally figure out potty training. And then no one's potty training anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you finally figure out this is a great way to teach reading. And now everyone knows how to read. How to so read. you're out of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's but right. nature works. It works for the newborn. It works for the grandparent, the great grandparent, the teenager. And it brings us all together in a place that meets each of us where we're at in our development and that stage of life. You know, it was interesting today, since I, I, my father-in-law is in the hospital, I was telling you that, and I thought, my word, I have not been outside all day because I've been trying to catch up and reading all day and just doing some things I love to do but needed to do. And then I thought, I was reading your book, I thought, I got to go outside and read this book. I am not going to go, I'm not going to stay inside and read this book. And it's interesting how just going outside makes such a difference. I mean, even in my well-being as an adult, it just, you know, um, I don't, you remember you spoke at our, our homeworks uh, and BJU Press Homeschool Facebook party, online party. And it was funny because two of the women told me, okay, I'm going to start getting outside every day. I am not in, and these were both women whose children were grown that I've got to start walking in the morning and getting outside. And you talked about sunshine in the morning. And uh, so it's just, it is a powerful message, Jenny, for us today. Um, so one thing I want to talk to you about, and I know that you and I talked about this, um, when Joe and I were speaking at a conference in Idaho, it was probably 10 years ago or close to your 2011 moment, you know, and there was a, um, a, a national ranger, national park ranger, who came and spoke to the group at Idaho. And I thought, I want to hear him. I don't know why. And he said, the average time kids spend outdoors today is six to eight minutes. And I thought, wait a minute. I think I misheard that. I don't I don't think that's, maybe he said 60 to 80 minutes or something. And so I went up and talked to him and he said, yes, it's called nature deficit disorder. And so I was really primed to hear your message because the first time you hear that and you talk about it in the book, I think now it's four to six minutes. So like it's decreased by half. Um, 
<laughs> which is really sad. And this park ranger said, and that includes the time that kids stand outside waiting for their school bus. And so, so talk to us a little bit about how you came up with a thousand hours outside and, and, and how we help replace kids' screen time with outdoors time. This came from three things. It came from Charlotte Mason. So Charlotte Mason says that kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable, which is shocking. That is shocking, shocking. That is a shocking amount of time. Yes. Right. Yeah. I had a friend who told me about it and I thought, no way. No one does that. That's ridiculous and outlandish. And Charlotte Mason, if you don't know, is also from the 1800s. And so I didn't know that at the beginning. If I would have, I would have completely discounted it. I would have thought this is someone who isn't current. But because I didn't know that for actually quite a while, I adopted the practice and really did see the life change. So she says four to six hours a day with a caveat whenever the weather is tolerable. And that's an important caveat because we're in Michigan. So you can't get outside for six hours with your baby when it's negative two. And you may not be able to get out for six hours when you're in Arizona and it's the middle of and August. It's 115. So, That's exactly right. 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 So she gives this caveat. And so what we were finding as a family was that with a little nature group here in Michigan, we were getting outside for these larger chunks of time a couple times a week. 18 to 20 hours on average, because I had seen those statistics and I was curious what we were doing. So we were about 18 to 20 hours a week, more in the summer, less in the winter. Well, then I also read a book that is really a life-changing read, I think, by Angela Hanscom. It's called Balanced and Barefoot. And she talks about play and how kids are really needing a lot more occupational therapy services than they used to. She really shows this decline yeah, in skills. fascinating in your book. That's <laughs> fascinating. I mean, sadly fascinating. Right, right. That the wait, waiting periods to get services can sometimes be up to a year. So she's seen this decline, right? She's one of so the ones that what, tell would us know. what occupational therapy is for those of us who don't know. So this has been an interesting thing because I didn't know exactly what it was either, but she provides therapy services. An occupational therapist provides therapy services so that you are able to better do your occupation. So if your occupation is a homemaker, your occupation is a surgeon, your occupation is whatever the thing may be, it gets you into the life that you need. And if you're struggling, the therapy is going to help. Well, she says, well, what's the occupation of a child? The occupation of a child is play. And so what an occupational therapist is helping for kids is they're helping them with the occupation of play. So if, for example, they have a hard time touching different types of substances, they don't like the mud, they don't like the tree bark, they don't like the grass, this is really inhibiting their play. And so they're helping these kids to be able to do that first and foremost occupation of a child. So which this is has to, have to be a new thing, occupational therapy for kids helping them to play because our kids aren't getting outside and they're not playing like they used to. So, right, 
Right. And so she said that they would do all this therapy indoors, like they would have a little sand table and the kids would play in the sand. And so that's supposed to get them used to these different sensory experiences. And her thought was that this really isn't enough. They really need to be outside in a full body experience with actual deep sand that they can dig into and feel it on their joints and the wind is blowing in their face and they're hearing these different sounds. And so she's come up with a whole program called Timbernook where kids go out into the woods. And I just talked to her recently where she told this really cool story, Zan. She was talking about a little boy and he just did not want to get muddy. He didn't want to get dirty ever. And so, you know, they're trying to help him and nature is kind of this gentle coaxer into experiences that are more and more challenging. And so she said, They didn't really push it, but he's out with all these other kids outdoors and there was this muddy pond and a bunch of the kids were in the muddy pond and they were catching frogs and he so badly wanted to catch a frog. So he took his boots off and in he went and nature does that for kids. It it entices them. It gives them the opportunity. And Angela Hanscom talked, excuse me, I'm like on the tail end of a head cold this week, but she talks about how Kids need about three hours a day, ideally, of outdoor play, unstructured or self-structured. That's what Dr. Peter Gray said. Yes. Child Uh structures it. (laughs) Of play a day. That's the ideal for their development. Three hour minimum. And that's for your baby. She definitely talks about the first year of life. And that's also for your teenager. And so people ask often, what about your teens? But it's for them too. So it spans the gamut. If you're a homeschooling mom, and you have a large family, if you're a homeschooling mom and you have a small family, but you have a big age gap, this is good news because if you have a 12-year-old and a two-year-old, you can take them both outside. They both need it. And so this is a way for you to bond as a family in a way that is enhancing everyone. So Angela Hanscom says three hours a day, but three hours a day isn't necessarily conducive to every single person's life. Like I couldn't do three hours every day. So there's that, Charlotte Mason, Angela Hanscom. And then back in 2011, 2012, the average child was on screens for 1,200 hours a year. And I just, that's a lot. I just thought, what if that time would have gone? Mm -hmm. What if that time instead went to hands-on real life experiences? Or what if at least we could balance the two? And so it was the kind of this confluence of Charlotte Mason, Angela Hanscom, and balancing out screen time, balancing out virtual with real. And and so it came up with this goal. We were already kind of living that way, but made it this concrete thing where part of our life, the foundation for our homeschool years, is that we are aiming every year to get outside for a thousand hours. And we've been doing it for a long time and it has really enhanced our life. So we have little tracker sheets that we keep track of. We actually keep track of it loosely, not down to the minute, but it has answered so many problems. We don't have quite as many problems with screens because we don't have as much time for it. And the kids are developing as whole people, not just academically, because They're getting all these different opportunities to bathe in their humanness. So it's just been 
a big answer for our family and it has slowly spread around the globe. So it's been an answer for a lot of families too. That is so amazing. Um, Tell people how they can get your tracker. Um, Is it an app? Is it paper? What what is it where they can actually start tracking their families outside too? We have two options. So we have paper trackers and they're really beautiful. There's a design contest that we do every fall. So this one from the past year is like this cross-section of a tree with all the spaces. There's so many options. One looks like a solar system. So those are free on our website, which is 1000 hours outside.com slash trackers. And there's 15 or 16 options there. And then some people use our app, which is in the app store. It's called the 1000 Hours Outside app. And there's little badges that you get. So that's fun too. That one's got a journal prompt. And there are both options. And some people take the ones that you print out that are free and they get them blown up at the local copy shop. Is that right? Like an office supply store. And so it'll be real big on their wall and they have the kids color it in. So it's a good way to model to our kids how to strive for balance. I mean, when we were kids, we didn't have to do any of that because kids played. Right. We just, no one we kept did. track we of played. any of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have color television till I was like in the fourth grade. And and but even then, uh, television programs were limited. Right. And there was none of this recording so you could watch it at other times you know it was you sat down and maybe watched an hour a day or 30 minutes a day or every other day or once a week and so it wasn't this constricting influence like it is now yeah and so you play yeah I think that's one of the biggest differences and that's why we are in the spot that we're at is because society used to be constructed in a way that naturally preserved childhood. I do remember on Sundays in particular that there was nothing on TV. There was nothing to watch. And so you would you would have to go find something to do. And those guardrails don't exist anymore. And it falls on the shoulders of the parent. You know, that is a good way to put it. I, I, I mean, this vision just popped up in my mind. We were leaving Yosemite Park. Joe and I had gone to celebrate one of our anniversaries by ourselves, he had a, a client out in California. And the park ranger said, oh, take the back roads. So we take, turns out it's like these 10,000, 12,000 foot mountains with no guardrails. And they're like wide enough for a Volkswagen. And and I was so scared. I just got in the back seat and put a pillow over my head because I thought, well, no seatbelt's going to help me on a 12,000 foot crash. But when you say no guardrails, that is, it's frightening. And we need to put those guardrails up back for our family. That's such a good analogy. You know, one of the things that struck me as I was reading through your book, Jenny, is not only how much you're just saving them from. Um, by not having them on the screen, but the ways this is helping them academically, like one of your experts says cognitive processes are rooted in movement. So it's helping their cognition. And and another um, one of the books you quoted, one of the experts talked about the rise in ADHD, not only among young children, but among teens, which has been unheard of to be diagnosed with that evidently in the teen years, 800%. 
And so it's really, and, and then this was the sad thing for me because Joe used to make building blocks for the kids. And then one of the books you quoted said that they're having to teach kids how to play with blocks now. You know, you talk about the original STEM activity, it was building blocks. And so it, you know, so you just see, you begin to see what we've lost when you pull the curtain back on the screen time. Right. We have lost a lot. And one of the things that we have lost is the cohesiveness of family time. And what I have found, and this is, I think, an encouraging thing, is that when we started this journey, it was to fill the time to help me be a better mother for young kids. But now we have teenagers. So people ask often, what does this look like with teens? And what it looks like with teens is a new guardrail. It's a guardrail that we have time together because when your kids hit those teenage years, now they have jobs, they have friends, they have sports, they have maybe a significant other that they're interested in, and your family can really start to splay out and become a little more fractured. And so this is guaranteeing that we've got some time built in as a family, that we have this out in front of us so that We don't lose that. And it would be really easy to lose that. Things get busy in a very different way, less physical, but more activity driven. And so often these are activities that they really love and that they're thriving in. And so it forces us to carve out time to still be together with our teens. Thanks for being with us today for part one of this amazing two-part series where Jenny helps us reclaim our children's childhoods and our happiness as families. Be sure to tune in for part two next week as we continue this life-changing discussion. We will even discuss why it's okay for our kids to be bored. You can find Jenny at A Thousand Hours Outside, and as always, you can find me at zantyler.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to bless your family. Until next time, bye.